Thank you for coming this afternoon. You honor us with your presence. Uh, we've had people from all over. We have friends from Nova Scotia, uh, friends from Allen, um, the far end of the Metroplex. We want to thank so many of you who have come that are local friends and family. Thank you, Generations Church, for your hospitality and for Pastor Allen and all that you've done to uh, help the family at this time. This is not a funeral. This is a celebration. <laughs> we have to remember, however we feel today, Doris is not sad. She's having more fun than she's ever had in her life. She's probably laughing, probably pulling something ornery, and then going and worshiping in the presence of Jesus like nothing has happened. And so we're going to celebrate her life today. We're not, you know, there, it is, of course, in a way sad, but this is a celebration. It was a life well lived, a life lived for the Lord, and we're going to celebrate that today. Hallelujah. Later on, we're going to have an opportunity uh, for any of you who want to get up and share uh, something funny or a poignant an anecdote, uh, keep it to two minutes if possible, because we, we don't want the service to be all eternity. So, uh, but uh, uh, we're, we, again, we, we're thankful you're here. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that every life that is placed on earth is a gift from you. And today we celebrate the gift of Doris Brown and the impact she's made directly or indirectly in our lives. Holy Spirit, we invite you to be not only a comforter, but bring joy, bring celebration into this place this afternoon. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. My grandma passed peacefully from this life on January 6, 2016, after a lengthy illness and decline in health. She was surrounded and supported by her loving family and caregivers during the last days of her life. Grandma was born on a farm outside of Winfield in western Kansas on April 4, 1928. She was the youngest of five children born to Ora Burrell and James Ludlow. In 1950, she graduated from Chicago Evangelistic Institute and became a pastor of the Nazarene Church in Dawson, Minnesota, and later St. Cloud, Minnesota, where she met her husband, Raymond Brown, also a pastor. They married on September 13, 1953, and pastored their first church together in St. Cloud Church of God, St. Cloud, Minnesota. She and Ray pastored churches in Illinois, Kansas, Tennessee, Indiana, Iowa, and Nova Scotia. After Ray's death in 1974, she also served in ministry in churches in Virginia and Ohio before moving to Texas to be near her children. Doris is survived by four children and spouses, Dennis and his wife Sue Brown, Laura and her husband Joe Duncan, Jeannie Townsley, Nancy Holtz and her husband Rick, 
13 grandchildren, Benjamin Brown, Christopher Brown, Jeremy Brown, Nathaniel Brown, Caitlin Brown, myself, Andrew Duncan, Ryan Duncan, Nicholas Burnham, Amanda Imhoff, Kathy Schickling, Christopher Walker, and Ashley Walker, and 13 great-grandchildren, Caleb, Abigail, Elena, and Gabriel Brown, Jack and Henry Marroquin, Olivia Duncan, Ada and Ava Imhoff, Riley and Madison Schickling, Emma and Allison Maletto, and one baby Duncan grandson on the way. She also is survived by her sister, Edna Jean Murphy. She was preceded in death by her husband, Raymond, her parents, Ora and James Ludlow, and her siblings, Evelyn Hedges, Lillian Shipley, and Howard Ludlow. Although the family mourns her passing, we rejoice that she is in the presence of Jesus. Let's stand to our feet as we just sing this out together. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear. The hour I first believed. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing grace. The Lord has promised, and the Lord has promised good to me. His word, my hope, secure. He will my shield. And portion be as long as life endures. When we've been there, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shine. We know this day. To sing his praise than when we first begun. My chains are gone. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, 
His mercy reigns, unending love, oh, amazing grace. My chains, my chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. And oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. An heir of salvation, a purchase of God, born of His Spirit, lost in His blood. And this is my story, this is my song, and praising my Savior all the day long. And this is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Sing perfect submission. In perfect submission. And all is at rest. And I in the Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with His goodness, oh, washed in His love. And this is my story, this is my song. I'm praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. I'm praising my Savior all the day long. We're going to read some of Mom's favorite scriptures. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the dark valley of death, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. 
You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You welcome me as a guest, anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 8 and 9. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Psalm 121. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Reading from Isaiah 40, verses 28 through 31. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The meeting Psalms 100. On your feet now, applaud God. Bring a gift of laughter. Sing yourselves into his presence. Know this, God is God and God, God. He made us. We didn't make him. We're his people, his well-tended sheep. Enter with the password. Thank you. Make yourselves at home, talking praise. Thank him. Worship him, for God is sheer beauty, all generous in love, loyal, always and ever. I'm reading Romans 8:35 through 39. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Psalm 145 verse 4 says, One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. And in preparing to speak today, I wanted to talk about some things that we can get from one generation, a person in that generation for us today, some things we can apply. 
Now, there are a couple of things that I could spend a lot of time on, but I won't. I could talk about her competitiveness. A few months ago, we were visiting Joe and Laura, and Doris was playing cards with Laura and two of our kids, Katie and Nate. Laura stepped away from the table for a few moments, and as soon as she was out of earshot, Doris said, let's see what her cards are. And so they looked at the cards, they shuffled them, and Laura came back just as they were flopping a whole bad hand of cards. I could talk about her orneriness. A couple of weeks ago when uh, she was quite ill and in hospice and had such strong medication, we didn't know if she could hear anything. She couldn't talk. She didn't open her eyes. She didn't move. She laid there in the hospital bed. And one day she was in there, and she was laying kind of like this with her mouth open. And I happened to be there at the moment, and, and she'd been laying like that for a long time. The nurse came in and looked at her, got down by her face and said, Doris, it's time to give you some more medicine. And don't you know, she took her mouth and went... <laughs> they, like, never got that medicine in her mouth. So we could talk about her competitiveness or orniness. I'm happy to report that none of her kids got either one of those traits. <laughs> but I want to briefly talk about three things that uh, she modeled and that had an influence in our lives. One was her love of reading. As we were growing up, one of her favorite jobs was at a Bible bookstore in Iowa. And it was a large Bible bookstore for the time. And one of the perks was that at lunchtime, the employees could go down to the basement. And they had a nice, easy chair. And she could take any book she wanted to read and sit there for an hour. I mean, think of a woman in her 30s with two young kids and a husband and a job. What's not to like about going to a basement and read for an hour? She loved to read. She'd read us Tom Sawyer. She'd read us a lot of Bible story books. And connected with that is the second thing is she had a very passionate love of Scripture. I will never forget when I was in high school, one day coming in at the kitchen table was Doris with her books and her Bibles, her commentaries, and Elaine from uh, Nova Scotia, who's her best friend, sitting there with her books and her Bibles and her commentaries, and they were going over some little minute part of the book of Revelation. And I remember walking in and looking at them, and, and they weren't arguing in a, in a bad sense, but, you know, they were going back and forth, and it's like, whatever, and walked off in the other room. But this was exciting to her. The passion that you and I would have for a sports team or for a hobby, she had with Scripture. And she modeled that and implanted that in us. I'll never remember when I was probably about eight or nine. I'd like to say Laura was 12, but she's actually younger than me. Uh, when she was about six, we went on a road trip. And Mom said, hey, how would you like if I read to you the book of Revelation? Now, at that age, I didn't know much about it. Probably still don't know a lot about it. But anyway, so she started reading, and she's sitting in the front seat while our father is driving, and she's reading the book of Revelation. Now, that might sound boring to some of you, but have you ever read it? You know, monsters with ten heads coming out of an ocean. 
you know, horses with the blood coming up to their bridles as they're going through after battle. What's not to like if you're a 10 year old boy? I mean, this was exciting stuff. And she had a way that to make the Bible exciting, especially for children, uh, her Sunday school lessons, her Bible school lessons. Uh, some of the teachers I had in Sunday school growing up made me swear on a stack of Bibles that when I got old enough, I'd never go back because they were so boring. But not Doris. She had state-of-the-art flannel graph. <laughs> if you're younger than 45, ask somebody older, what's flannel graph? We received emails uh, when word got out about how uh, she was becoming very ill from people that were children back in the day, contemporaries of Laura and me, and how stories, stories that uh, we'd forgotten, but they had heard her talk about that had an impact on her life. She loved the Old Testament, and she made it come alive. I remember my favorite stories growing up was when she would talk about Elijah on Mount Carmel. Here's this one guy standing up to 900 false prophets, and he's mocking. He's saying, you know, I think you better call a bit louder. I think Baal's in the bathroom. Uh, I think he went on a cruise. You better really try and mock. And the stories just captivated you. Or the time that the prophet Micaiah came in and mocked King Ahab to his face, gave him a deliberate false prophecy just to mock him. And by the time you got through, this was exciting stuff. And my all-time favorite story, when Elisha one day is walking along and a bunch of punks come out and they start making fun of his bald head. He cursed him in the name of the Lord, and it said two bears came out and devoured him. That's my favorite story in the Old Testament. I love that story. She implanted in us a love of Scripture. Now listen, I'll be the first person to tell you that the most important stories are not about what happened 2,800 years ago to a prophet in another country. The most important stories are learning about God as seen through the person of Jesus. Because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But I'll tell you what, if a person thinks the Bible is boring and irrelevant, they're not going to get to the stuff about Jesus. Doris had a way to make those stories come alive and put in us a passion for the Word that remains to this day. If you think the Bible is just for old ladies and little girls. You never heard Doris teach Sunday school. The third thing that Doris modeled consistency in a variety of ways was serving the Lord. She was not raised in a Christian home. She became a believer, follower of the Lord around age 16. Against her family's wishes, she went to a small Bible college in Chicago. She wanted to be a missionary to China or to South America. She helped plant a little Nazarene church up at International Falls, Minnesota. You can't go any farther north until you're in Canada. And she was in her early 20s. This was in the early 1950s. And then when she was pastoring in St. Cloud, Minnesota, a mutual pastor friend set her and my dad up, and after quite a bit of pursuing her, she relented and decided to get married. And she served alongside my dad uh, in six different states, as Jennifer read in the eulogy. 
What a lot of folks don't know is in her late 30s, she went through a crisis, not so much a crisis of faith, but a crisis of calling. She began to question if perhaps getting married and having a family, even though she was part of ministry, but because she did not go to China or to South America, if she'd miss God. I think part of the problem was at that time, and there's still, you find it in churches sometimes today, there was a concept that God's will, God has a specific plan for each one of us, and it's so specific who you should marry, what your career should be, where you should live, how you should serve, and it becomes a tightrope. And if you get off that tightrope at all, at the worst, God is going to be very angry with you. At the least, God will be very disappointed. It's interesting to me when the Scripture talks about the will of God. It's not talking about career choices. It's talking about character and faith. For example, Jesus said, this is the will of God that you believe in the Son whom he has sent. Paul said, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. In other words, your character and how you grow in love and how you grow to be more like Jesus. Those are the things that are the will of God. And if a person has a model of the will of God as this very narrow thing, it's always, am I off? Is he angry? Is he disappointed? I think a better metaphor would be the will of God is like a parking lot. If you were to go to the grocery store after this service today, you've got a parking lot, and if you want to be quick, you can park close to the building. If you say, I ate a little too much today, I need the exercise, you can park farther away, but you are still in the parking lot. There are some places that one should not park. For example, if the sign says, No parking. Isn't that brilliant? There are probably things common sense would tell us for our lives are not the will of God. I doubt anyone here is called to be a bank robber or a porn star. But I believe that as the more I get to know the Lord is that the will of God for our lives He gives us a lot of choice. We can pray for wisdom. We can make the best decisions that we can. But just because your, your life or my life hasn't turned out quite the way that we thought it would does not mean that God is disappointed with you because your life is not a tightrope. Your life in God is a parking lot. And so Doris was going through this struggle. Should she have rejected marriage and gone on the mission field? Personally, I'm glad she made the choice she did. (laughs) But the point, the greater point I want to bring out is she had a passion to be consistent in her walk of faith. And she kept on, in spite of the doubts, in spite of the inner struggle, she kept on serving the Lord. And a year and a half later, she and my father were on the mission field. 
They were called to go to a small church. Now, this was not a third world country like she thought she would be. But it was a small church in a town in Nova Scotia. If you ever talked to her for any length of time, if you ever went to her apartment, you would know she was as passionate about Nova Scotia as a lot of Texans are about the Dallas Cowboys. Everything was Nova Scotia. She had pictures. She had lighthouses. She had the Nova Scotia tartan. Everything was about Nova Scotia. She was passionate. She had finally found, after all those years, it was like the thing she was born to do. Because she had stayed faithful and consistent, and even in the choices that she had made, it turned out that she got to fulfill the thing that she wanted to do. The Kansas girl who had lived all over the Midwest finally found her home. And ever since that time, even though she lived other places, if you were to ask her, where's your home? It wouldn't be Kansas. It wouldn't be any of those other states. She would always say, my home is Nova Scotia. Something happened in her that was wonderful. Probably the seven best years of her life were the times that she and my dad pastored there. He died suddenly, and now she was a single mom with two young girls. And it was hard for them financially and emotionally. Eventually she was back in the States, but here's my point. Wherever she went, whatever she was doing, whether in the employ of a church or working as a secretary or whatever she was doing, consistently teaching the Word. Every place she lived, she taught Scripture. When she got down here in her apartment, she was teaching in Sunday school. She was uh, When she finally had to give up her car through much trial and tribulation from her kids saying, Mom, you shouldn't be driving. She still taught Bible in her apartment complex. When she moved to assisted living, she still taught Scripture. She still read. She was passionate about serving the Lord. I want to read a a couple of verses from the message version out of Philippians. This, I believe, was the secret to her passion. St. Paul said this, I'm not saying I have this all together, that I have it made. I'm well on my way. Reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself as an expert at all of this. But I've got my eye on the goal, where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back. So let's keep focused on that goal, those of us who want everything that God has for us. Another place St. Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind, I press on. In spite of her financial hardships over the years, she kept her eye on the prize. In spite of the disappointments in her life, she kept her eye on the goal. In spite of her slow physical decline, she never gave up her faith in God. She never gave up her passion for the Lord. She pressed toward the mark. She also knew that to be absent from the body... Oh, at times like this, the scripture is so wonderful. St. Paul said, to be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. I want to tell you, we're going to see her again. 
It will not be the elderly, emaciated woman whose body was racked with disease, but rather a young, vibrant, energetic, somewhat ornery Doris. I want to challenge all of us today. Let's keep our eyes on the goal. Don't give up on life. Keep your eyes on the goal. Don't give up on relationships. Keep your eyes focused on the goal. Don't ever quit believing. Keep your eyes on the goal. Don't ever stop loving. Don't ever stop serving God and serving other people. Paul said, I don't know what has happened behind. I don't care, but I don't give up. I press toward the mark. Fight the good fight. Finish the course. And keep the faith. Now, we're going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to bring the mic down here. And we're going to give you an opportunity if you'd like to get up and share something. Uh, Doris did not sentimental. If I would have given her a birthday card that was, Dearest Mother, I love you dearly, she'd have said, What's wrong with you? Are you upset with me? She liked humor. And she liked, you all know that. And so, again, this isn't a time to be... Uh, remorseful. This is a time to celebrate. So if you have something you'd like to share that would be a blessing and encouragement, I want you to come up and do that now. First off, I'd like to thank the family for allowing me the honor of participating in this time of celebration. And for those of you who do not know, I am the other daughter from Nova Scotia. When I received the sad news that my friend, my mentor, my confidant, my sister in Christ, and the one who had such a great impact on my walk with the Lord had passed, it was a time of mixed emotions. I knew that she was in a better place. And I was glad that she was no longer in pain and suffering and that her battle had finally ended. But I was grieved over my own personal loss. Mrs. Brown, or more fondly known to me as Lady B, and I have been friends for over 45 years since the time that she and Pastor Brown and their family had moved to Digby, Nova Scotia. I was such a frequent visitor at the parsonage that at times I was often mistaken as part of the family. As Dennis has already mentioned, oftentimes when I was there on those visits, she and I always liked to engage in an in-depth Bible study. On certain Bible verses, like Revelation 7:14, dealing with the tribulation saints, the verses in James dealing with faith versus works, and of course on doctrines like the Trinity, neither of which we were supposed to believe in, but we still questioned it at the time. After the passing of Pastor Brown, our friendship became even more close and more special. Having been brought up in a single-parent family, 
I knew some of the struggles that she was faced with. And I tried to be there for her to help her in any way that I could. But how does someone sum up 45 years of friendship in just a few moments? Trying to compress such a life in a friendship into a few moments is impossible. Almost an insult, if you would. But that is just exactly what Lady B would have wanted. A few words, very few words about her or about any of her accomplishments. She would have summed it up merely by saying, with the Lord's help, I did what I had to do. Even when we last talked, and I called her with great fear and trepidation because I didn't know if she knew exactly what she was facing. So there was some hesitancy on my part. But yet when I talked with her, she assured me that she was at peace. She was ready to go. And that the Lord had blessed her with a great life. She had no regrets. Just after losing her husband, Pastor Brown, she sang the song, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. And that became her life's motto. Over the years, Lady B has been my guiding light, my mentor. She was my example of what a good Sunday school teacher should be, an example of what a good Christian friend should be. She always showed unconditional love required to be a pastor's wife of a small, struggling, poor missions church. She was always an example of someone who loved to read and to study God's word. And not only to read it and to study it, but to live by it. She was always an example of modesty, and of how to live a very frugal life. She was always one who loved to study Bible prophecy. She was always one that you could share any problem, any need, any situation, or question with, and have no fear that she would think less of you, or that she would betray a confidence, or that you would lose her friendship. She always had great insight and shared from her experience and offered great wisdom. She was always understanding, accepting, encouraging, as well as challenging. And underneath it all was her charm and her wit. I will always remember with a smile our time to trying to help one another with this modern age of computer technology. She knew a little bit about it. I knew even less. But we tried, and we shared, so that we could stay in contact with one another in the modern way. After all, it was the thing to do, and neither one of us wanted our grandchildren to know 
that we were getting old and that we were not able to keep up with the times. There is so much more that I could share about Lady B. But in closing, I would just like to say these words. There are some people that we meet in passing, and we forget them as soon as they go. There are some we remember with pleasure and feel honored and privileged to know. Lady B, you are that kind of a person, a person I feel so honored and so privileged to have known. You leave behind beautiful memories. And I know that there will be many days which will bring those fond memories and smiles to mind. Lady B, you have fought a good fight. You have run your race. You have kept your faith. Now, may you rest at peace in the arms of your best friend and your Savior, Jesus Christ. Until we meet again, my friend, thanks for your friendship, your love, and your wonderful example of God's forgiveness and his love. May God bless you richly and abundantly. Elaine mentioned frugal. Oh, I'm one of the grandchildren. My name is Chris. She mentioned frugal. And I don't know, almost all of the aunts have said at some point that no one could stretch a dollar farther than Doris. She could also stretch a bag of M&M's. <laughs> Sitting in church with her as a kid, you know, really little, you know, the kids are fidgety or whatever. She wouldn't let me play with the mirror. She wouldn't let me play with the comb. But she would give me one M&M about every five minutes to sit still. And being my mother's child, it worked. So there you have it. I want to uh, talk about her playful side, which I'm sure you'll hear plenty of stories from her grandchildren about how much she'd like to do that. But uh, when I was uh, about five or six, just when Christmas was starting to become magical to a kid, to where we couldn't sleep the night before, or Andy, every 15 minutes, are you asleep? Are you asleep yet? Are you asleep? <laughs> you know, that age, <clears throat> we wake up or just get out of bed at this point uh, when our parents are up and we want to open gifts. Well, we got to wait till 7 o'clock. We got to wait till 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock comes around. Everyone's ready, but where's grandma? So, you know, my mom goes ahead and sends, sends me in to go wake her up. So, I run up to her bed as excited as possible. I'm ready to open up these gifts. I get up right beside her face and pow! She scares me. Jump back. She's been waiting for me all along. <laughs> so fast forward a year later. 7 o'clock. Christmas morning. Got to have those gifts. Where's Grandma? I'll go wake her up. Same thing. I go, hey, Grandma, we got to... Ah! Oh, my God. Right. Fast forward a year later. <laughs> Fool me three times, Grandma. Shame on you. You're not going to fool me a fourth, except she still did. And so uh, this time I got my brother and my sister behind me. I'm, you know, kind of just, Grandma, Grandma, it's time. I know you're going to trick me. Stand back. What I didn't know is my mom also has the same playful side. I loaded a water gun and gave it to her the night before. 
So from 10 feet away, she throws the covers off and just starts blasting me with water. Again, scared, fall backwards. And Andy, correct me if I'm wrong, but it wasn't long after that when mom started waking us up every morning with a cold water bottle. So our kids have that to look forward to. Yeah, my grandma was really ornery. Um, she gave me some of her tea sets and stuff. I love tea sets. So, uh, she gave me this one. She was four years old, and she had her tonsils taken out. And so this was given to her to play with and um, it's a present for her. When she was young, her sister and her had lanterns. They didn't have any electricity, so they used lamps, and they would light them. So this is the one that she gave me. And then this is the tea set that she got was when she was six or seven years old. And I'm going to tell you a story behind this one. So there was this bratty little kid in her neighborhood called Ray. And he would run into their yard and um, just, like, mess around and everything. And um, she was really young. She remembers after school going to her, her little shed with her tea set and her doll and having a tea party every day after school. Well, one day he came over and um, he came to the shed and she said, go home. He took her doll, he threw it on the ground, he took her table full of tea sets and tossed it over. Nothing, none of these broke. But my grandma was angry. She's really angry. So she punched him in the face. <laughs> and the little kid ran crying to his mom. And so um, a few minutes later... The, the mom comes and talks to my grandma's mom, Aura, and says, you know, did, did your daughter punch him? And so grandma was called to the front of the house to apologize. Like, did you punch him? And grandma was so proud of what she did. She said, yes. <laughs> and so her mom, Aura, said, okay, apologize to this kid. And so she said, I'm sorry, but I'm not. <laughs> and so her grandma told her, okay, whatever, just go play. And um, Aura finally stood up for her and said, I told you to keep him out of the yard, and I meant it. <laughs> and so um, one day the kid came back to, to bug her, and she just held up her fist, and he ran away. <laughs> so, yeah. And um, you, I, I think that was one of the stories she told me while we were having lunch together. And um, it's another story. I remember having lunch to, with her um, at the assistant living years later. Dad always told me about how he hated eating Brussels sprouts when growing up. She'd plop them in some boiling water, and they'd have to eat them. Well, so years later, we're at the, the assistant living, and we're eating them, and um, she doesn't like Brussels sprouts, apparently. So I, I was looking at them. I was like, these shouldn't be too bad. So I started eating them, and I looked over at her. She's shoving them under her bowl, <laughs> so she won't have to eat them. I wanted to show you a picture of my mom and her sister, uh, she lived in the Dust Bowl days in western Kansas during the Depression. And it was a very, very hard life on her. But she grew up happy. And uh, to me, this just tells the story of how hard it was for her. And the story that Katie shared kind of has been part of our legacy of her punching that kid in the face and then saying, I'm not sorry. That was the feisty side of Doris. You don't ever cross her, you know. <laughs> I was always impressed as a senior citizen. There was nobody that was ever going to scam her. 
if a telemarketer called, you better watch out. I felt sorry for the telemarketer. She would shred every piece or stamp out every piece so nobody could get her address. She was a feisty woman, ornery, but also very loving and very loyal. We have a lot of good memories of her. And actually, I wanted to share a little story about her. She's the reason why I became a children's pastor. When she was seven years old, her parents did not go to church. When she was seven years old, there was a neighbor lady who invited her to go to a Baptist church. She went and loved it. And that transformed her life. Seven years old, nobody really speaking into her life. And, you know, I have to think that right now she's looked up that lady that invited her and thanked her. See, I see the importance of ministering to children because had it not been for that lady inviting that little girl, I probably would not have been a believer, maybe not even born. So she had this transformation. Now, now she told a story how her parents bought her a, a brand new dress, which she hardly ever had a new dress. But to be baptized in, they bought her a brand new dress. And she went to church at seven years old to be baptized. And she got mad because it got her dress from wet. She didn't quite understand what baptism was. But she said later on when she was about 16 years old, during a sermon, all of a sudden the Lord started speaking to her heart. And she felt something in her heart that she needed to give her life to the Lord. So she did. She went forward. She got on her knees and started praying. And then she felt like God said, I have something important for you to do. I want you to go into the ministry. So you see the domino effect. And I just want to encourage you, don't ever, ever pass by a child and not encourage them and minister to them because they do have a call. And you don't know, you may may be having the next Doris Brown or missionary on your hand. So that impacted my life. She was very resourceful. She had to be because there was no money. So she would stretch. She would take buy one pound of hamburger, and she would cut it in fourths and make four meals for six people. So we had a flavor of hamburger. <laughs> but we didn't starve. She would take, she would make a lot of our clothes and she would buy remnants or she would remake one year for Christmas. They had the first Christmas in Nova Scotia, they had very little money. So she went down to the local store and they had, I don't know if you're familiar with what tartan is, but it's a plaid that clans and from Scotland and all that have. So Nova Scotia has a tartan. Well, there were these men's tartan shirts on clearance for like $3. So she bought four of them and remade them so that we all had tartan tartan shirts. She could just stretch the dollar. We were not necessarily popular with those. (laughs) She, uh, a part of being resourceful, uh, you know, when they lived in Tennessee, they had hardly any money. She talked about for uh, meals, they would have biscuits and gravy for breakfast, and then gravy and biscuits for lunch, and biscuits and gravy for supper. That was, that was it. So 
she decided that uh, my dad and her decided they would do a music school. They were both very musical. And so they supplemented their income teaching music. Um, there you go. She <laughs> played the accordion. Don't pay attention to the guy on the trombone. It's just my brother. Um, but she played the accordion. I played the accordion. But one of the things I remember as a children's pastor, she would try to make it interesting, like Dennis said. So she started doing this. She would play the accordion with puppets. (laughs) Yeah. She had such an attention to detail, it blew my mind. Now, I did not inherit that gene. My mom would keep incredible records and matter of fact after she passed I was going through her. she had a record book she wrote down everything since 1999 oh I went to Joe and Laura's house we had pot roast Joe and Laura took me to the movies I went to the dentist I paid my cable bill she had everything very detailed Not only that, and we have some wonderful friends here from the assisted living place, and you guys are so awesome. She lived there for the last five and a half years, and this is part of the ornery side of her. She would take the menu from the assisted living place, and she would grade the meals on a scale of 1 to 10. There was a period there where not very many got 10, you know. And then she'd write on there why she only gave them a four. The toast was burnt. And then she would show it to me. I'm like, who does this? Well, just to prove a point, on her competitive side, I brought a little exhibit A. We had a Scrabble competition going on. Uh, it started in December of 1999 until she passed. And she kept a score of who won every game. She would circle it. That's my mom. You know, her attention to detail was incredible. But the really good side about that was when it came to the Word of God. I mean, you would open up her Word, her Bible, and she'd have these little notes. You'd have to use a magnifying glass to read. But they were all over the place. And she would study, and she would teach, and she wrote lessons in her computer were lesson upon lesson upon lesson that she would teach. And it was her goal to, no matter where she lived, no matter what condition she was in, to always be teaching the Word of God. That was her passion. I want to conclude with one other little story about her. When she was in eighth grade, she was quite athletic. And when she was in eighth grade, um, the last day of school, they were going to have a celebration. But before that, they had kind of like a field day. And so my grandmother crocheted her a red dress with a red hat. And my mom wore this little red hat and her dress. And mom was telling me that, She was chosen to run for her class in the race. 
And her mother had told her, Doris, don't wear your new dress. Don't wear your hat. My mom was so proud of it. And so she was in the race, and she was winning. But all of a sudden, there was a gust of wind that came and blew the hat off of her head. And she was in a dilemma. Do I finish the race? Do I go back for the hat? She went back for the hat. It meant so much to her. And as I was pondering this, I thought, you know, she finally finished the race. She ran the race. She finished her course. There is a crown of life waiting for her. She pressed on. She did not give up. And that was my mom. Oh, my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before. Oh, my soul. I worship your
She was she would sit over here and if I would exit this way, she would always have something to say. She wouldn't monopolize my time, but it was always a nugget of truth. It's always something encouraging to the pastor. If if she was competitive, she's probably saying, I won, I won, I won right now. I made it first, you know. I beat you guys. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much. For the honor of knowing this lady, someone who gets it, Lord. She had a heart for the nations, but also for the generations. And, Lord, her legacy lives on in her children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren and beyond. Lord, we thank you for her ministry. We pray, Lord, that the seeds she's sown would continue to bear fruit for generations to come, should you tarry. And, Lord, we ask that you would bless and keep this whole family in your care, keep them in your peace, cause your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming today. And for those that drove the furthest, God bless you. Thank you so much. And those that flew too, amen. Don't rush away. We have refreshments. Stay for some cake, cookies, coffee, iced tea, sweet tea from Chicken E. God bless you.